Welcome to the Wesley Memorial Podcast. Join us this Sunday at 1225 Chestnut Drive in High Point. Visit us on the web at wesleymemorial.org. Now here is this week's message. For us, a great deal about what it means to live as a Christ follower. It was only about 20 years ago when I finally heard and received what it was that Jesus was saying here in this text. And I hope that this morning all of us are in a place, spiritually, where we can hear and receive what Jesus is going to say to us this day in this text. Before I read the one verse from Luke chapter 6, I invite you, church, to pray with me. Holy Spirit, we know that as life happens, our hearts become hard. It may just be because of the need for self-protection, but for whatever reason, as we make our journey through life, we exchange our hearts of flesh for hearts of stone. Now, Holy Spirit, right now in these moments, I pray that you will give us hearts of flesh again. And remove from us our hearts of stone. God, we pray that you will take our hard hearts. And through the wine of the blood of Jesus Christ, soften them again. Make them tender. We pray, God, that once again you'll take our cold hearts. And through the breath of your Holy Spirit, warm them again. God, we pray that the living Christ here in this place today will speak a life-changing word to each one of us. May we have the courage, God, by your grace to to be different and to do different as we leave this place. So here we are, God, before you again submitting to you and submitting to the authority of your word in our lives. We ask all of these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Before I make reference to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verse 36, let me make sure that we all understand the context for this text. When we read the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, we notice that several times in the Old Testament, we hear God saying to God's people this, Be holy, therefore, as I am holy. Throughout the Hebrew Bible, Old Testament, the people of God are called to live lives of holiness, to be a holy people, and that's how they imitate their God. And it's by that family resemblance to God, our Father, that we display God to the world. So that's the way it's stated in the Old Testament. Be holy, therefore, as I am holy. But by the time Jesus comes along, he realizes that for a lot of people, they don't really understand what it means to live a holy life. He understands that because of some of God's people, the whole concept of holiness had fallen on tough times 
So Jesus wants to make sure we know what it means to be a holy people. I think in our day, just like in Jesus' day, there were many people who heard the word holy or holiness. And the images that came to their mind was not always a great image. I know the church in which I was raised, I've said this to you before, the church in which I was raised usually taught rather directly or indirectly, that holy living had a lot to do with what we chose not to do. The implication was that holiness was about things that we stopped, activities about which we refused to participate in. Sometimes we thought holiness had to do with separating ourselves from those people or those, those actions or attitudes that we thought were not holy. I remember, and I shared it with you a couple years ago, as a child growing up, I was sort of taught the little poem, I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't go with girls who do. (laughs) And that was how holiness was represented to me. And that way of viewing holiness is not just a modern way of viewing holiness. It stretches all the way back to the time of Jesus. Many of the people that came at Jesus came at Jesus because they didn't think he was defining holiness correctly. He was hanging out with the wrong kind of people. And he was participating in some activities that they thought he shouldn't participate in. And therefore, they didn't think he understood what holiness was. So Jesus tried to make sure that his followers understood what it meant to live a holy life, to be people of holiness. So he he paraphrased, if you will... The great verse from the Hebrew Bible where God said, uh, I am holy, therefore you be holy. He paraphrased that by saying, and we find it here in Luke 6, 36, be merciful just as your father is merciful. So for Jesus, holiness was not about what we refused to do, but holiness was about what we chose to do. For Jesus, holiness is defined by a way we choose to live. And here in this translation of Luke 6, 36, it's the choice to be merciful. And it's by being merciful that we're being holy. And that's a very different view from holiness from the way it's popularly conceived even in our culture. But when Jesus was speaking these words to the Jewish people... He was obviously using his language, which was Aramaic, which was a form of Hebrew. And he used the word, a word that was a rich, rich word concept in the Jewish faith uh, that the Jewish people there in his midst understood. But by the time, by the time it gets into the Greek and then gets translated to the English, it gets translated something like merciful or mercy. But I'm not sure that that translation of the word that Jesus would have used in his language appropriately or adequately captures what Jesus is saying that we ought to do in this life. Because sometimes for us, mercy is giving to people something they don't deserve. For sometimes, for us, mercy is, you know, letting someone off death row or something. So what Jesus is talking about here is a rich, deep, concept from the Jewish faith. He uses a word here. He would have used the word in his language, er, language Aramaic, the word rakam. He's saying that you, 
Christ followers. You need to be people of Rakam, just like God is a God of Rakam. Throughout the Hebrew Bible, God is frequently referred to as a God of Rakam. Uh, the King James actually creates a phrase to translate Rakam. The King James translated that as tender mercies. And it talks about our God being a God of tender mercies. And God wants us to reflect God to the world. So we need to be a people of Rakam, tender mercies to the world around us. Let me tell you about the word Rakam. Because for me, when I finally picked up what God was laying down, it transformed my life. When I realized what it was that God was asking of me here through Jesus Christ, it changed my way of living. Jesus is saying, if you want to be holy, you need to be a person of Lakam. Maybe translated merciful. I like what the Amplified New Testament does. It says, be merciful or tender or responsive or compassionate as your father is. The word rakam in the Hebrew is connected to a Hebrew root that is the word womb. A woman's womb, a mother's womb. That, that part of the female body that, that um, receives and prepares and nurtures the child for birth. So what Jesus is saying here, and the Jewish community, knowing Hebrew would have picked up on it, Jesus is saying that you need to be womb-like, just as your Father in heaven is womb-like. And you may think Jesus is mixing metaphors. He's not really. We know that God is this Rakam God, this God of great compassion, this, if you will, a wombish God, a God who is womb-like, a God who is maternal toward us, a God who shows nurture and nourishment to all of us, a God that loves us as part of God's own creation. So Jesus saying that we need to be wombish, we need to be womb-like, just like God is. So holiness is not what we stay away from, but holiness is what we choose to do. Holiness is choosing to live this way, life of compassion. Compassion International is a wonderful organization. For about 20 years, it's, it's, it's taught me a lot about compassion. It's taught me that Jesus said, go to the world with the gospel, not just to my closest neighbors. You heard the command that we received in the book of Acts. The choir sang it beautifully a few moments ago. We are to go to Jerusalem, that's our city, to Judea, that's the region around our city, to Samaria, that's the region accompanying nearest to our, to our region, and then to the uttermost parts of the world, to be a balanced Christian, to be a New Testament version of a Christ follower. We need to be able to show compassion right here in High Point, and we need to be able to show compassion around the world. You may remember in, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus got in trouble when he went back to his hometown. He went back to Nazareth, and by the time he finished speaking to his hometown there in his hometown synagogue, they, they tried to throw him off a cliff. You remember that? Luke chapter 4. And it was because he attacked, in their presence, he attacked a proverb. He attacked a proverbial statement in the first century that we still have in our century. And it's a proverbial statement that says, charity begins at home. 
Jesus attacked that in Luke chapter 4, and they tried to throw him off a cliff because he attacked that concept. He was there in his hometown, and he knew that his hometown people wanted Jesus to bless them, bless just the people of his tribe and no one else. Now, in the first century, they didn't say charity begins at home. In the first century, if you go back and read Luke chapter 4, Jesus said, I know you want to quote to me that proverb, physician, heal yourself. That's a first century version of charity begins at home. Physician, heal yourself. Heal those closest to you. Heal yourself first. Heal those closest to you. Heal your tribe And that's not a bad concept, but Jesus knew that those who believe that physicians should just heal themselves or those who just wanted charity to begin at home too frequently allowed charity to end at home too. Never got very broad. So as New Testament Christians, we seek to have compassion locally. We seek to have compassion worldwide. Compassion International has helped me remember that. It was about 20 years ago when I first experienced Compassion International when Tony Campolo came and preached in one of my churches and he said, I'll come preach if you let me talk about Compassion International and give people an opportunity to sponsor children. So for 20 years now, Tammy and I have been impacted by the ministry of Compassion International. As most of you know, Tammy and I were able to go to Peru recently with the Compassion International trip. And unlike most sponsors of Compassion Children, we got to meet our child, Jeffrey. You see his pictures there on that insert. So I'm going to let Tammy come and talk to you a little bit about our trip and about Jeffrey. Um, Tammy, she won't say this, so I'll say it. She's one of the most compassionate people I know. If you don't know about my wife, she's a hospice nurse. That is, in many ways, for me, the epitome of someone that can show compassion. So I want her to come and talk about our experience in Peru and our experience uh, of meeting Jeffrey. Well, I'm really excited to get to share with you for a few minutes about our trip and about some of the impact that meeting Compassion Kids, meeting Jeffrey, and seeing that the work that Compassion does had on me. On our trip, we did have the opportunity to go to four different child development centers in different areas. We also had the opportunity to go into homes. We had the very humble opportunity and almost sacred opportunity to go into the homes and see where some of the children live and to meet usually a mother of the child. We met one father. I really have two images in my mind that I brought home with me from our trip to Peru. The first one is an image of poverty. Poverty like I had not seen before. We visited three different homes in three different neighborhoods. The first one was in the bad side of town on the outskirts of Lima. Now, Lima is a beautiful town that's really a bustling place now for tourism if you're on the right side of town. But there's lots of slums for miles and miles on the other side. 
When we went to the outskirts of Lima, we went, we walked with some compassion folks and some other pastors through a neighborhood up a muddy hill. There was trash strewn on the ground around us and stray dogs everywhere. And we walked to a home, a very, very modest, simple home that had two of the most beautiful little girls and their mother in it. And that mother, just like each of the mothers here, all she wanted out of life was for her kids to be okay. We went to another home on the outskirts of Piura, which is another region in Lima, I mean in Peru, and we went to Alberto's home. He was the father, so it was kind of neat to see a home that actually had a father in it. That's not always the case. Alberto had five children. There was a baby that was there with us, and there was the youngest son actually went with us from the Child Development Center. The older children were back at the project working on a silkscreen class, trying to learn some useful skills for their future. The baby had the flu, they said. When we talked to Alberto, he talked to us about his hopes and dreams for his children and his desires for them and his heartbreak that he couldn't provide for them in the way that he wanted to. He was a farmer. He worked on farms when he had the chance. He would get a, he gets up before dawn and walks two hours before daylight to the rice paddies. When he works till the sun goes down, and then he walks two, mile, two hours back home. And he does that because that's the only work that he can find to support his children and his wife. In that home, there's a homemade crib hanging in one corner of the room we were in. The whole house was about the size of one of these choir stalls. There were two mattresses on the floor, and there was a center block, some center blocks in the center that they used to, for a fire pit to cook on. When the one of the things we always did in the homes was ask the parents, how could we pray for them? I remember that Scott, one of our compassion leaders, said several times on our trip that the opposite of poverty is not wealth. The opposite of poverty is enough. And that stuck with me. The opposite of poverty is enough. So when we ask Alberto how could we pray for him, he asked us to pray that he would have work to take care of his children and that the baby with the flu would get well. He asked us to pray for enough. But even in that home, with the dirt floor and the walls made out of reeds, sewn together and caked with mud, and the mice that Jeff and I both saw scurrying about on the floor, even in that home there was hope. 
When the Compassion, when Compassion International went into that village and partnered with the church and opened the Child Development Center, they looked for children in the community that would benefit from Compassion. And they found Alberto's kids. And through the work of Compassion and the church and the Child Development Center, that whole family now goes to the church and knows about the healing and the saving power of God's grace. I said the one image that I, rem- that I brought back with me from Peru was poverty. The other one, though, was hope and joy. When we went to the child development centers, we drove up in this big, shiny bus, and the 18 of us got out, And it would be like walking down that center aisle and the pews were rows and rows of children. Beautiful little brown children with wide smiles on their face and waving American flags or red, white, and blue balloons and singing and chanting and giving us high fives and receiving hugs from us. It was like we were a returning war hero coming back home or Roy's boys going back to Chapel Hill after winning the national championship. It was like we were heroes to them. When we walked through the child development centers, first of all, they always greeted us. They sang us. They did a little program. They sang. They danced. They always had one of the children to offer a prayer for us. When we went into the classrooms, they were, they were learning all kinds of things. One classroom of young children, the lesson that they were doing when we were there were, it's about the importance of brushing your teeth and how to properly brush your teeth. One classroom, they were talking about throwing trash away properly and washing your hands and very basic, simple infection control things. In that class on the wall, we saw a poster where the names of all of the madrinas and padrinas were. Madrina is the Spanish word for godmother. Padrina is the godfather. That's what they call their sponsors. And on that poster, they had the names of the sponsors who sponsored the children in that classroom. And they prayed for them daily. We, in the services, in the classrooms, we saw a class of 13, 14, and 15-year-olds. There was girls at one table and boys at the other table, and they were studying. They were doing Bible study. They were learning about Jesus and Zacchaeus, that wee little man. We helped serve meals to the children. We ate the same thing they did. See, every day when a child leaves, when a child comes to that child development center, they get a warm, nutritious meal. And every day when they go home, they have a snack that they take home with them, just in case there's nothing at home. We did have the privilege of meeting Jeffrey, our eight-year-old sponsored child. We walked from the program center to his home. We had one of the tutors from the center We had Davis, our translator. It was Jeff and I and two other pastors. 
And when we walked in, Jeffrey was very shy. He kept kind of hanging his head down. But as we talked to him and we talked about what he enjoys in life and what his hopes are and about his family and about the program, he got warmer and warmer to us. I gave him, I took a, a backpack full of simple gifts, some shirts, some underwear, uh, some Hot Wheels cars, some colored papers and colored pencils.